Welcome to another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. We're very excited. We have two guests with us today. I'll let them introduce themselves. We'll start over here. All right, I'm Kenya, Kenya Gibson. And what do you do, Ms. Gibson? I, I serve on the school board in the 3rd District. Excellent. And uh, the schools that are in the 3rd District include, you want me to tell you that Yeah, now? please. So we have elementary schools are now called Barack Obama Elementary. All right. And we have uh, uh, Ginter Park Elementary and Holton Elementary. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, uh, Henderson is the middle school in the third district. John Marshall is the high school in the third district that is comprehensive. We also have community high school, which is um, one of our specialty schools. And the Richmond Technical Center is also in the third district. And you, sir, who might you be? Yes, I'm Chris Hilbert. I'm the third district uh, city council person. And third district uh, includes Gilpin Court at its southern tip and Ginner Park at its northern tip. So I guess that really explains the the yin and the yang of of the third district. We also go uh, over to um, west. We go as far as Newtown West. Uh, and we include uh, um, Southern Barton Heights and Northern Barton Heights to the to the east, right over to Meadow Ridge Road. All right. So if you don't realize, we're doing a third district themed show today. That's, That's exciting. It. Continuing our tour de la Richmond. You guys have been in office two years now. Now, Chris, you've been in longer. We'll get to that. Yes. You can talk about your history there. <laughs> and actually, I haven't been in for two years That's yet. That's right. You haven't been in for yeah. two years yet. So explain to us how you got to where you are, Kenya. Well. From the beginning? or Yeah. I know. So, I mean, from the, the very first moment you remember. I, <laughs> I am the result of redistricting, actually, right? And so uh, Don McEachin, when the fourth congressional district was rezoned, is that the right word? Yeah. We're, redistricted. Yeah, yeah. redistricted. Um, sorry. We're in school. I'm in school mode, I think, about rezoning. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so when that happened, uh, there was a ripple effect with some of our elected officials. And so Jennifer McClellan moved up into the state Senate and Jeff Bourne moved up. And so that left a vacancy on the school board. And I ran for that seat in a special election in 2017. And you won. And here I am. And here you are. <laughs> she did win. She won every precinct. That's wow. amazing. <laughs> that really is amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Uh-huh. All right. And, and Chris, <laughs> how did you get here? How did you get on city council? How long have you been on city council? Well, way back here during, let's see, it was the, technically we're still in the first George W. Bush administration. Wow. So okay. that's been Whoa. a while ago. He yes. was reelected the same night that I was elected to city council in 2004. Wow. Yeah. So I've been around a while, starting my 15th year and really enjoying it a lot. I think the thing that motivated me to run uh, was just the crime in the city at the time. And what, and that was a very personal issue for me. My father was murdered when I was a teenager. And so that's a very visceral issue for me and one that my next door neighbor was attacked in his front yard. And so that was just kind of the final straw. And my wife was my biggest, uh, 
I call her my biggest supporter and my most challenging constituent. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to me. Sheila. As it should be. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and she, um, Is that a happy constituent, happy life? Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the rhyme's not there. It's not but, there. Right. I'll, I'll work on it. I'll work okay. it. <laughs> All right. Good, good deal. Um, and she told me, you know, Chris, you can do something about this where you can sit around and complain. And mm. so I sounds like a wife wanted to. I said, well, why don't I run for city council? I mean, that's something where I can make a direct impact on on this as far as the number of police officers that we have and our social programs to make sure that that we are fighting crime. And it did come down steadily for over a decade. It was really remarkable. Uh, we had 95 murders in the city the first year I was on city council. When I moved to Richmond in 1994, we were the homicide capital of the United States on a per capita basis. That, yes. And so that went all the way down to the 30s. Uh, it's back up now. We're having a, a spike. But uh, that was very gratifying to see that happen because that was a major issue that I ran on. You haven't been on quite two years yet. No. But you did get dropped right in the middle of a whole bunch of stuff. A whole on. bunch of stuff. What was your first vote? Because I remember it was like yeah. a really dramatic night. It sure was. I. It was on December 4th. We voted on a facilities plan. Oh, that's right. That wow. Was, that's, that was, that's, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that was the, just to catch everybody up, the facilities plan when there was a whole discussion about Part A, Part B, and if it's five years versus 20 years, so some things right now, context, under discussion of while we're funding schools, I know there's a lot of people speaking on right now, but what facilities plan? So FYI, that was Kenya's first vote. That was mm-hmm. my first vote. So in the past two years, well, in your past time. Yes. It's about um, a year. It's been about yeah. a year. What are you most proud of that you've worked on? Well, um... Let's see. I think that when I look back on the year, uh, I think any elected official should say, you know, I learned a lot over the year and and I've met a ton of people and, and been in lots of schools and talked to lots of teachers and met lots of parents. And I, I've just tried to, you know, like every time I get a call about um, some some detail, I try to in my head, like connect it to where where that might impact a policy decision. And so I'm, I'm just thankful for all of those conversations. One, uh, a couple of things that I'm, I'm, I feel good about are uh, being able to include teacher retention on the strategic plan. That's a metric I think that is a, is a key one. I am thankful too that because I was really involved with the budget process as an advocate and as a parent before going on the board, that I've been able to add some context to the budget decisions and budget discussions that we've had um, because we've got a lot of new people in, you know, at the administration. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, and uh, what else? Well, I'm excited we've got some good governance stuff that I introduced in our meeting. So we, I've been told that we'll be live streaming our um, oh, meeting on, soon. To... Oh, my gosh. Yay. Exciting. Um, Finally. Like, I can watch at home if I'm not feeling great for you guys. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, there's so many school board meetings that I'm like, I'm going to be back here dying in the back because I don't have the option to just, well, here I am on council online. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I'm excited about that. And then um, similarly, so today we got our first FOIA. We get quarterly FOIA reports of all the FOIA requests that come through. And... Um, another one of the good governance um, requests that I made was to include in that FOIA report whether the FOIA actually got filled and how much the FOIA was, um, you know, the cost that was attributed to that FOIA. And I think that sometimes the cost can prohibit getting all of those requests out. And so I think it's important to, to be transparent about that. Um, I think that that should be something that, that helps moving forward, too. 
Obviously, there's been a lot of challenges uh, for school board in the past two years. Um, in your year, do you feel any specific challenges that you've met or you know overcome or things that you still feel like you're working on? So challenges as a school board or challenges as a school district? Um, um, and maybe touch on both. Yeah, think, yeah, maybe you're speaking to both. But, um, you know, I mean, right now, I, I have to be honest. I mean, I'm just razor focused on the budget. And yes. <laughs> um, and so I think that's where my mind is is set. I want to I'm you know, so we're talking about a lot of cuts. And so I want to make sure that there is transparency and fidelity in that process as we're having those discussions. You know, I think that uh, thinking about the uh, budget process in my first year on the board, um, I think there were opportunities for uh, kind of more shared knowledge. And so, um, like, so one of the things, you know, the, the documentation that the city council was looking at was different. So, like, how great would that be if we were looking at the same documents? Um, so I think that... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that, that would be helpful. Um, you know, we have, like, these quarterly education compact meetings. Um, the, the timing for the uh, presentation that uh, the Richmond Public Schools Administration made to city council. Um, frankly, I mean, I found out about that you know, the night before, that that discussion, I think, would have been a great agenda for a meeting like the Education Compact, where we have everyone together, things like that. I don't know if I've answered your question, but... No, no, uh, yeah, I mean... That's that, what's on my radar, yeah. the budget. So what would you say... Um, We've talked about kind of your, I guess, your favorite accomplishment or your what you what you're working on. What you know, looking at some of the things that you campaigned on or that you, you know, wanted to focus on. What is your like hope that you accomplish by the end of your term? Well, I'm a parent, and so I, you know, backing up, I decided to run as a person that was really involved with advocacy. Okay. Um, this this question of funding is not something that is new this year. Um, you know, I I moved to Richmond and then pretty much I moved in like 2006 and then it was like the recession hit yeah. and school funds were hit and I got swooped up into this wave of advocacy um, and that led to. Uh, getting involved in a, on the board of the PTA where my kids were at school and then eventually running for the school board. Um, and so much of my campaign was tied to that advocacy work. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was really empowering for me as a parent to get involved with all of that stuff and then to say, gosh, because I showed up, because we showed up, um, we were able to address salary decompression for mm -hmm. teachers, right? Like, yes. that's really cool. Um, and it's a so, big deal. My mom's a teacher. Yeah, right. So, um, so much of my campaign was in the power of the community, and um, and so in in working for more transparency, where you know is reinforcing because the, the community can't get involved if they don't know. True. Um, and so, for instance, in our in the budget, um, you know, as we're talking about cuts, I've. Uh, my my belief is that we should be talking about where the cuts are coming from mm -hmm. um, so that the people in those jobs have the opportunity to advocate and so that I, as a school board member, have the ability to be able to have a conversation with them to understand what the possible implications of those things are. So um, so that's that's a key piece to it that I ran on. Um, I believe that funding matters. Um, I think that, you know, uh, prior to, you know, kind of the recent philosophy or the recent discussions about school funding or school failure, there was this uh, belief that, 
you know, we just need to be more accountable. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that school of thought uh, comes from a, a, a you know a desire to to not have to pay the price, right? That um, that we could get something for nothing. This win-win mentality that 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 doing right by public needs is not going to cause us, you know, that we we don't have to pay. And so I think we have seen the the underbelly of that overemphasis on on accountability, and that you know, as you, we think about what happened at Carver. So so ultimately, I mean, you know, I think that funding matters, and you know, my goal over the next couple of, or you know until the next election is to keep that message at the forefront. And I think, too, uh, I think it's important for us as a community to appreciate that um, that change that is authentic and sustainable takes time. And um, and one of the I think one of the things that I've learned the most over the past year is just the cost of whiplash. You know, that this is a school system that is constantly having to redefine itself, whether it because a new law comes in, you know, through General Assembly, because we're under a memorandum of understanding, because of new leadership at the school level, at the district level. Um, this is change on top of change, on top of change, and then new school board members. Yeah. And there is a there's a cost to that. And so so when we come in and say, you know, I, I want to change, I want to reinvent this, you know, um, we there's only so much change the system can sustain. It's a contingency plan. Change, you change, you change. Every year you come in with a new, or every term you come in with a new plan, and then you have people moving. And yeah. So with that, I mean, so obviously, hello, my representatives, by the way. If we mm -hmm. haven't talked, there's another third district person here, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like with that, I think something that really was a theme in 2016 and with that narrative, narrative of accountability, especially, it was also like communication between yeah. bodies and entities, like mayor to school board. You mentioned the education compact. So before we kind of get to maybe some more council issues and like this, this side of the city of, of the third district, that side of the context, um, how, how have you guys been working together? Where How do you guys partner? Like I know there's district meetings. You, I've seen you speak at some of them. How do you guys both see uh, working together city council and school board in the third but then also as a larger city how we can do that because I think that's definitely a piece of it is working in my opinion together but maybe I'm wrong I don't know yeah I think um well Chris and I we had a darn time even getting together for coffee because he <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh my god but we did and um and I've enjoyed coming to his or to our third district meetings and kind of hearing from people that are that are our neighbors and um, and are really impassioned and, and care about what's happening in the city. I think that uh, I think that there's room for for more. I mean the, the the compact meetings. I think in terms of the agenda setting for those discussions. You know how can we can make real productive use of that time. I think the. One of the things uh, I've, I also noted on that good governance is with like the education committee on the council side and how we can ensure that the folks on the board are, you know, in the loop on on those conversations, whether it be um, because someone's sitting in or, um, you know, just in, 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 you know, we get so many emails. But if there's a way that, the, you know, that those meeting minutes can can rise to the top or if even we set up aside a, you know, segment of our board mem uh, board meeting to talk a little bit about, you know, what's what's on that agenda. Um, so I think that there are, are more opportunities for collaboration, but definitely the the uh, momentum is there, I think, for for those discussions. Absolutely. And I'm glad that Kenya does come to the district meetings uh, and shares her agenda with everyone there and takes a lot of questions. And so we appreciate that very much. So, Chris, we're going to leave it back to you. 
Okay. You've obviously had a 15-year history with city council, but these past two years, what has been your um, proudest accomplishment or a thing that uh, you felt like, you know, went really well for you? Well, I think our one-and-a-half-cent meals tax, probably the vote that I'm most proud of. Uh, even though it passed 7 to 2, it wasn't looking like 7 to 2 when we went into the meeting. Uh, and I'm just very proud of that. Our education system is foremost in in my mind, and I think my eight colleagues' mind as we make decisions. Uh, and so we weren't willing to provide the resources, which is our part in the whole education function. We don't set policy. Uh, that that is a is a great accomplishment. I think that wasn't just me, and I I appreciate the mayor putting that forward. It really, uh, and then I know that we had uh, a long, well, some considered it to be a a brief discussion about it, or it wasn't elongated enough. And but I told people, you know, I'm sincerely come to a conclusion on this, and I don't believe that having more meetings is going to help me to change my mind on this. I want to listen to people, but I said to be respectful of your time and my time, my mind is made up. And so let's let's move on with this. And we took a vote first to even take a vote, and that was five to four. And then once, uh, once the decision was made that we were going to have the vote that evening, then it passed seven to two. Yeah, and just so uh, you all know, we have a ton of restaurants in Richmond, so please go eat at them because those meal tax dollars go towards our schools. Yeah. So please remember every time you want to go out to eat, eat within the city limits. Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> that Wawa Wa on Boulevard is going to build a whole new school. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that place is always busy. <laughs> Boy, I knew when that was built, it was going to rock, and it, and it does. It does. So thanks for everybody who approved that. We're really <laughs> happy that's within the city limits, too, because, well, you know, things like that, um, it, it's a big decision, and it is helpful to us to have retail outlets like that within the city limits so that we're not constantly going to Henrico. And, and also, really quick, I think that, um, if I remember, I think I saw from the Education Compact meeting that the meals tax projections are actually coming in higher than where people expected. Right. Sure are. And the costs of the schools came in a bit lower. Oh, wow. Which is... There we go. So a double bonus. Hey, and I, Hope, so hopeful things. Does that do you, like? I know there's a delta of the gap to be able to get George with, of course, be able to build. If anybody didn't catch up on that, this, the money for the meals tax was for three schools, really like kind of like three and a half, we'll say. So does that also, I assume, help close that delta of being able to finally get all, everything you need for the fourth school? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not. Absolutely close, obviously, but like those are the kind of things that inches closer. Right. Yeah. I think I can't speak as to what will happen because it would be a board decision. Um, but I would presume the options on the table in terms of what to do with the Delta would include both the, the additional school. Um, but we also have, you know, a very long list of, of maintenance needs. And mm -hmm. so. I'm, I'm assuming that that would be the next discussion. Riveting stuff, guys. No, I'm like, I'm, act, I'm no, like absolutely fascinated. Yeah, where I'm like, I'm like, that yeah, is exciting that, that we raise more money than. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a few people say that I work with that don't live in the city. Well, I don't want to come into the city because you've passed this meals tax. And I said, well, you can, that's a, that's a decision you can make. You can go to inferior restaurants mm -hmm. outside the city. You can come in and have the best food. Exactly. You can continue to go to crappy national chains. Okay, they have your or you can the come in to local <laughs> Richmond yeah. restaurants that are serving, you know, the actual citizens of Richmond and helping to pay for these schools. Yay. Okay, so city council we know is not without its challenges. There's always 
Always something. <laughs> Always something. So let's talk on that a little bit. Um, I know you personally have patroned some uh, papers that, you know, have been challenging to the public. Yes. So have. let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. All right. Sure. Uh, what do you consider the most challenging? Is it the bike lanes? <laughs> <laughs> the bike lanes turned into something more controversial than, than I imagined. I think than anybody imagined, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. just really, a city attorney remarked that after the meeting that that's the most people he'd ever seen in line to where it was, they were lined up, uh, if you've ever seen a, the chamber of city council, they were lined up all the way up the center aisle, off to the uh, exit door, and then out in the hallway. Out in the hallway. Had 62 speakers uh, uh, against our ordinance, which would ban the bike lane. So it was kind of ironic if you voted yes, you were voting yes to ban the bike lane, right. no to the bike lane. So That was so confusing that there's a number of times I had to like reality check myself. Wait, it, like, I think someone even responded like, oh, that's good. And I'm like, no means bad. Like, it's reverse. <laughs> it was it's crazy. Um, Opposite day. Yeah. <laughs> it really was... Um, uh, it was informative, and the passions on both sides of this were really, uh, really high. And I did, uh, I listened to my constituents on that, and they were, and they were divided. And I had people, businesses that, uh, where people didn't live in the district necessarily, in the Chamberlain Industrial Area, that were very concerned about their trucks coming out. And these are not huge trucks, but these light trucks, uh, that could have a collision with a bicycle. It could be tragic, and they back out of uh, usually of their spaces and so forth. So, so we'll see how it turns out. Now that it's it's been decided, uh, then I uh, I want to make sure that that it is implemented as well as it can be. I was talking to one of the supporters of the bike lanes after the meeting, and well, it was after the vote. I went out in the hall and told the supporters of our ordinance that I was sorry that we didn't pass. And uh, but I came up to one person, and I think they just they didn't know what to think. But I I stuck out my hand and said, "Congratulations! That you know that's the way this works. You know, you move on to the next issue, and you hope the best for the city." So that was a decision that was made. And I'm well. I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm to hear though that you are you know you are afterwards even after a defeat you know or whatever that you're still able to reconcile that with other constituents you know and realize that there you will have a difference of opinion sometimes, but that doesn't mean that you can't get along. No, no, and I. My uh, my slogan the last campaign was a trusted voice of reason, and boy, a lot of people didn't think I was very reasonable on that. <laughs> they just thought, I mean, a lot of young people really were upset with me, and it was the older residents that were very adamant and against it, and it was somewhat polarizing along racial lines. One oh, question I have then, so I mean, obviously, like I. I as a constituent partially, but then also like the, the space that we do with RV Dirt, I think that the bike lanes was really the perfect dichotomy of exposing what is a huge issue, not just in the third district, but across Richmond with regard to activism, involvement, and especially this like older and younger divide and figuring out how is it that we actually are able to reach the people things impact across multiple different community levels. So if we can maybe even, because what I would hope comes from a bike lane situation is not only of course bike lanes, but also figuring out how do we start to address that problem 
problem. When something like that, that really should not have gotten that contentious, like those contentious conversations could have happened like during the planning side of it. We have to figure out how to get everybody in those conversations. And that's something that I know like we're even figuring out and part of like why what we do what we do of trying to just get the different voices so that everybody tries to feel heard. So like how, like what are things that you saw in that process that maybe even the community can support in making it happen better next time um, so that we don't get to that place? Because that was not a fun place, I think, for anybody involved. Right. That's an excellent question. And I remember some bike lane advocates telling me, oh, there was a hundred people in this back in this bike planning meeting. And I thought, wow, a whole hundred? You know, that's not, I mean, a hundred people and we love that, but that's, you know, we have a district of 23,000 people just in our district. So right in a city of over 200,000. So and uh, I even think about like the bike lane meeting um, for your, your third district meeting, like the difference of the ones I've been to before. And, and this is literally almost any meeting I go to for like city things. If there's you know, like 20, 30 people there, see mostly the same kind of people. And then of course you get to the bike lanes and it's like, this room is packed. There's nowhere to stand. I'm sitting on the floor. It's interesting. There can be a lot of people. And then other places it's like, well, every single day we need people that are there consistently. Right. Yeah. And I, I'd love to see uh, that many people there as passionate when we talk about schools. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's really, that's that's discouraging. I find that uh, it seems like that uh, that trees and, and, uh, and animals seem to bring out that, that dichotomy as well of advocates and people who say you care more about trees and, and dogs and cats than you do my children. Well, I think that they have a long history of organizing mm -hmm. um, and being a part of an advocacy or activist group. And there are a lot of people within the city who are still learning how to get off the sofa, get from behind Facebook or Twitter or the computer and get out in public and how to get their message across. I think mm -hmm. that um, there are a lot of folks that really would like to speak on schools or roads or public safety or whatever, and they're not really sure how they can reach you guys, speak to you guys. Sometimes I think that people are intimidated. Um, not everybody's that like us. It surprises me. It, it really it, does. I, I try and be accessible. I don't feel like I'm very physically intimidating here. You know, but it's, five, it's not about that, though. I think a lot of people are yeah. under the assumption that um, our electeds are untouchable or unreachable. And so how do you uh, let your constituents know or let anybody in Richmond know, because you don't just work for your constituents, you work for everyone within mm -hmm. the city limits. How do you let them know that you're approachable, that you're okay to talk to? How do they get in contact with you? How do they make a connection with you? Well, I guess my Facebook account isn't uh, very active. I don't find it to be um, the best platform mm -hmm. for, for me. Um, I did have a Twitter account. I don't have that now, uh, or it's dormant. And so, uh, so it's more trying to meet one-on-one -on -one with people. And you can't meet one-on-one -on -one with everybody, but I try and meet everybody that makes a request. And so uh, that's really the way it, that's the best way. You also way have an amazing me. liaison too, so. I do. I wouldn't be here for 16 years, 15 years, if it wasn't for Lisa Town. She is an absolute gift. and Make sure you email her when you email Chris. Yes. She's, <laughs> she will she's, help you and guide you in the right direction. To, to get a hold of me, definitely. She's, uh, like I said, she's a real gift and she's lived in the third district most of her life so she knows everyone and everybody knows Lisa so that's a big that's a huge help even though I've been there for 23 years Lisa's a, a lifer and people really know her and yeah. like her and she's a hard worker 
The third is the word. You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Rabbits have two eyes, and whales have two eyes, and eagles have two eyes, but Triops has three eyes. Triops has three eyes. Two eyes on a face are usually enough, but Triops has got one that looks up, and one that looks around, and one to keep an eye on the other pair of guys. Triops has three eyes. I think also communication is something that maybe on the school board side, I'm curious, like with parent engagement um, and people mostly typically think to the point of like you can't use everyone one on one. Typically parent engagement is always viewed as like, but are you at the PTA meetings, though? Um, how also is RPS in with from the board perspective or maybe things that you want to do, Kenya, of reimagining parent engagement? Because I think there's some parallels that maybe we even draw from like constituents coming into space and then also parents coming into space for advocacy. Uh, well, I, th- I mean, as part of the, the district, there are there are um, Im- components of, of parental engagement in the strategic plan. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a PTA mom. And so I uh, was really excited in the in at John Marshall, the the reemergence of the the PTSA um, at John Marshall. Um, I know there's an active. There are a lot of active PTAs within the district. Not all of our schools have have active PTAs. You know, I am encouraged by the amount of outreach that I've seen from parents in the district. People contact have contacted me e- even outside of the district, um, and I just do my best to to get back to them and you know to hear to hear what's going on. Um, you know the the stories are are often heartbreaking in terms of the um, the issues that they're trying to address, and so um, you know. But it's important to to get that feedback. One thing I wanted to note, though, with the bike lane is um, I think that part of that was the um, the the timing between the bus and and the poles and and the bike lane and um, and I think in the third district too there was the Westwood track and I think all of those things happening at the same time kind I of think a perfect storm yeah I mean it, it, again it's I think it just there's a it, when, when a lot of change happens all at the same time you know um, that that there there's a reaction to that and you know this is an old city and we're so I think that there it can create anxiety right I mean so. I think that that was. I think that was part of. I think that was part of it. The the Westwood track is really going to change. Uh, Ginner Park. I mean, Ginner Park has been, uh, for the most part, single family houses. If you include Laburnum Park, which is a subsection of of Ginner Park, and when Lewis Ginter laid out the town, he actually um, he recruited uh, the seminary, which was in Farmville at the time, to come and to be the center, the literal center of of. The community that he was creating. And so with that gone, with all of that green space in the middle, gone with a high density development, uh, it's really going to be interesting how that, that impacts us. I know it's going to be a negative impact relative to the traffic. That's uh, I hope everybody that moves into the Westwood track has a bicycle. 
Uh, that'll be a win-win for everybody. Maybe we should talk to uh, Westwood <laughs> Tract and, and them about, like, can you market to bicycles? Like, can you put that on your advertisement, please? Right, because there'll be one right out your front door. How do you think we moderate, and, and not necessarily just with Westwood Tract, but, like, there's a whole bunch of growth in the city, and how do we manage the, the needs of the growing the city and growing the tax base, but also still preserving um, not just Richmond history, but also the feel of our city? I mean, I said, anybody. You want, we want to make sure we don't push everybody out. <laughs> That's yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, we want people to stay here and, and put their kids in the schools. Yes. Right. So how, do you have any thoughts on? Well, and we also want to make sure we're not pushing working class people out. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing. Retaining our workforce, retaining the children right now is a big challenge. Do you guys have any thoughts on how we can do that? Well, it is it is very hard. I mean, neighborhoods that are on the on fire from a real estate standpoint, uh, you know. There is one listed Paris. on my street for $450,000, like wow. the other day, yeah, and it's already pending. Go north. It's been under uh, renovation for like two and a half years. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it mind-blowing, that kind of stuff, yeah. It's going to be tough. I think that that certainly does preserve the feel of a neighborhood. Uh, Battery Park has always been a middle-class neighborhood, and while the demographics are changing, it's still maybe becoming an upper middle class neighborhood now just because of the prices. But I think those kinds of, of changes or demographic changes within that neighborhood, I think it's a little different than it would be for Highland Park or some other areas where there was a tremendous concentration of poor people and other people moving in uh, and forcing people to move out because of the high rents and so forth that that happened. But I think we really need to look at our zoning and what we can do there as far as the massing of our city because one of the great things about Richmond is that you can get from stem to stern in 15 minutes uh, regardless of, of where you're going unless you're going between 5 and 5.30. Uh, so, and it's 25 minutes. Yes. <laughs> we don't have a rush hour. We have a rush half window, hour yeah. maybe uh so it's um but that i think could could help as far as the it's just having such massive developments it's hard to integrate all of that growth into a community with services and with schools and and right i mean we're building schools but we couldn't be building them fast enough to keep up with the growth that we're having now and a lot of younger people uh we don't want to lose them and we don't uh and so I think that a lot of younger people that are moving in that may be in a committed relationship uh, that may want to have children, we need to have them have the faith enough in our school system to where they're going to stay. Absolutely. No, I think absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, um, I mean, there's, a, there, you know, the, the New York Times article that, that, that drove this conversation that we've been having about evictions. You know, it, it was a housing story, but it's a school story. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they're, they're one of that, you know, Ginner Park, where we've had students who have been in apartment complexes that are been com- condemned and then are faced with having to, to relocate. And that transition, surely there's an academic impact when, when you are in circumstances where you, you have to pick up and leave and are faced with, you know, new teacher, new classroom, new school, new house, uh, new neighborhood. Um, and that 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 impact is not just for that family, but for all of the kids in that classroom that um, that have other friends that that have had to leave, and now you know your friend is gone, and um, and and adjusting to that. And so, you know, we often talk about schools um, as a uh, you know a, a, a an issue that is singular, but 
but all of those these these issues are not just school issues or the housing issue is not just a housing issue and transportation is like all of these things are interwoven and and in, impact each other well and students that are in the situation that you described uh, when that happens when you're moving involuntarily into yeah. another situation it really and I don't know the number, but that's really a, a high number relative to, to the whole of uh, the number of students that switch schools uh, during the year because right. they are uh, evicted. Or it can be really dramatic to have to move every six months. Traumatic. Yeah. So how do we, I think there's an underlying conversation here also about just affordable housing in the city, like some of the affordable housing that exists. Obviously, we can talk about how it's some of it's condemned in the third district right now. Like, thank goodness there's at least some progress there because it's the slumlord situation. Like, we have to address that with evictions and making sure that people have not just a place to live, but it's also something that is um, not harmful to their uh, physical and mental health, of course. And I know there's a number of health risks that were in some of those places. So I, I just want to say, like, good news condemned at least to make progress on that. But I think there's also, it identifies a, a, the lack of affordable housing. Uh, so how how do we put more affordable housing into the city or like where do we put more affordable housing and how does that play with schools to make sure that we are providing the services for all the residents? Well, I guess my day job is all around affordable <laughs> housing. Uh, so um, I think here's another issue where zoning could help and uh, but there are dollars available to rehab properties, multifamily properties, and that's where I uh, work at VHDA. But there's also, you know, loan programs that will help, low interest rate loans, free down payment and closing cost assistance that are available for, for people to get that American dream of home ownership. And, and not a lot of younger people are making that decision to move into a home that they own. But I think part of that is because they're burdened with this huge college debt that is a mortgage in and of itself. So uh, I think that affordable housing is now getting on the radar here. Before, I think people were just saying, oh, you know, Richmond's cheap and considering it to be cheaper relative to other cities. And it was. Not Nova. But it's right. It's not. And that's I I moved from southern, uh, excuse me, suburban Maryland. Uh, DC oh, yeah. to here. So, yeah, it was a big change, but not everybody's coming from that situation. I also think we have to define what affordable housing is. So, you know, we use that term somewhat loosely and we have to d- determine what is what is that threshold and, you know, I mean, I think that uh one of the, one of the things that I, I I find interesting too is as we talk about public housing, you know, here in the states, there you know, the the feeling I think is that public housing fails, but what public housing offers is the opportunity for people to organize and advocate for their needs um, where you don't have that option, um, you know, in, in a private development. And that's not to say that, you know, that there's a right or wrong, but um, but I think that as we, uh, you know, I mean, in Europe, 30% of housing is like public, right? And so, um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, as we we think about public housing and and what are the models that that system can work in. I, um, you know, I grew up in mixed income housing, and um, I don't suggest that there's that that's necessarily the best solution either, because it can you know it it, it can result in displacement. And I I think that we just have to be very you know careful as we're looking to um, to uh, to move forward that we are sensitive to the people that are here. And I guess what we could do at a 
at a local government level uh, would be you know, fund our affordable housing trust fund as, as much as we can. And uh, what Kenya said, very thoughtful about these are communities where, where people can organize. And we lost one of our great community organizers yes, we here did. in Lily Estes. And so if we had a, we had a three dozen Lily Estes out there sprinkled around our public housing communities, I think it would just make so much difference. And she worked so hard uh, to make sure that people felt involved and included. That, oh, sorry, <laughs> it was a sad moment. She really did. Yeah. She no, meant a lot to us in general and was a, um, an early adopter of RVA Dirt and was very supportive. And so um, yeah. that was 59 years old. Um, not right. That's not right. So. No. I think she had so much more work to do. So hopefully um, there are folks out there that are willing to pick up the torch and keep running. We need that. Yeah. I think like just even this past week, of everything that's going on and like our state level politics and everything. And her name has come up so many times because it's just this absence of the space that she was really able to fill and the unification point about making everybody feel included and see that they had a space. Cause sometimes if you don't know that you have a space, she was always that person that was like, no, you're supposed to be here. (laughs) Right. You belong. Yeah. 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 Man. Oh, okay. So um, moving on from that. uh, So we have about 10 ish minutes left and we would like to talk about, um, moving forward in the future of the third district. You guys each have two more years left on your terms and we do need to talk about budgetary issues. Uh, Jesse, do you have any specific school board related budget questions for Kenya? So I think, uh, the only thing would be really, if you could right now, you guys are about to approve the budget. I think next week, if I remember it's in the next week or two. Um, so if you could maybe it's a little big question, but give kind of the rundown of, you know, what is it that maybe people want to be looking for or maybe want to be asking questions about, but also like maybe advocating for as you guys conclude those budget discussions before they get sent over to Chris's side of the table mm-hmm. uh, on the council side of things. Uh, well, uh, one one note that I'm eager to see or fla- that I'm flagging is we haven't seen the capital, the CIP budget yet. And um and that's a big part of the budget ask. So I'm hoping that uh, at tomorrow's meeting, Monday's meeting, that that, that is presented um, because clearly we've been talking about facilities and maintenance and uh, that's that's a big piece. Um, you know, I think that uh, what over the next couple of meetings that we have until the budget is approved, what I am pushing for is to uh, to see, uh, you know, to, to really understand what is behind that strategic plan um, because I want to make sure that the dollars that we ask for have been vetted and we've really prioritized, um, you know, what those needs are since we are, you know, making that ask in light of, of making a lot of cuts. And so, you know, I think that uh, it's it's important that, um, you know, we, we're clear on you know, what, you know, if we've, we have a line item on, um, you know, l- you know, launching an initiative. What is what is what is behind that? Um, you know, because I want to, we want to be, be able to defend those things and, um, and and provide clarity in the community as to you know what all the parts and pieces of that that ask are. So I think that that is key. Um, and then uh, and then I think I mean I I I I think that there should be um, more visibility in terms of what those cuts are behind the plan. Um, and so my push is in, in bringing more transparency to that process, because I think those are, you know, these are, these are people, 
these are jobs, these are functions that, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm a person that has said that this is, you know, we, we, we've talked about waste in Richmond Public Schools quite a bit, and um, and I think that there's a uh, you know a a fallacy in that in that notion that this, there's waste in the schools. And so when we say we're going to cut 13 million, it it um, it suggests that that we've been wasting 13 million dollars all this time, and that's that's not true. Um, so I think that um, you know if we're going to be cutting as a, a sizable chunk of 13 million dollars, I think. The community should should have a full understanding of of what all the parts and pieces of that are for sure like that's <laughs> like i like I, I like i don't know what else to say like yes <laughs> like it's usually helpful if people understand i i think so um so then for for you on your city council side chris um what are you looking for in the budget as far as like maybe third district initiatives, but also um, with the relationship with schools of like, how, is there a way or a place people get involved for advocacy for that piece of it with you guys? Well, yes. I mean, I think that schools uh, and parents and PTAs have come, uh, particularly Holton has been very organized, Kenya, as you know, uh, being very active in that organization. But I want them to come down, I think, that too, and let us know what they what they think and, and do advocacy. If we can have the advocacy on the level that the bike lane proponents had, then that's going to make an impact. We are unstoppable. Yes. Is there any space for, uh, like, this is something that has been coming up a couple times, is participatory budgeting. Is there any space in the city side of things for maybe a participatory budgeting process? I know that in Charlottesville, they recently, this year, implemented a pilot with a limited amount of funds just to work out the process and see how that would work. But that's really, again, like people getting involved through the budget process of like where priorities go. Is that something um, that city council has considered possibly? No, I don't think we okay. have, just to be honest. Okay. Uh, I appreciate it. Hey, we're just going to put that bug in there. We're doing a little inception, so that's yeah, in your brain now. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> to bring that back to your colleagues and have a little chat about. <laughs> and I think that's that's what we need. I mean, you really need to hear from people uh, and let, and just just listen. Yeah. That's that's very important. Uh, I'm looking at in the in the budget, obviously schools and wanting to to fund them with our our new dollars, uh, approximately twenty million dollars that we got from real estate uh, increases assessments that we'll be receiving over the next year. I'd like uh, a lot of that to go to schools. Uh, and there's a we had an audit report. I think it's interesting to be on the audit committee. Um, until I stepped down as president. And the audit report was, where do we stand relative to other jurisdictions on what we spend money uh, for? And we were on the high end for public safety, and these were comparisons with Norfolk and Portsmouth and Roanoke and other cities about our size and older uh, jurisdictions in the Commonwealth. And we were dead last in Parks and Rec. And so to me, that can really be a crime preventer and something to keep our young people active after school and on the weekend. So I'm looking forward to, uh, Mayor staff was at that uh, meeting. I hope they heard that loud and clear, and I plan on uh, additional funding for parks and recreation. And I know you're big into public safety, too. Do you have any public safety initiatives or anything in the budget? Not not anything new, necessarily. Uh, I'm not sure that, that adding many, any more officers at this point is the is the right thing. I think uh, we'll have a new police chief here, and I I want to say that the interim chief uh, Smith has done an excellent job. I think we've had 
uh, some issues that uh, in my last district meeting about safety on Brooklyn Park Boulevard that certainly uh, he addressed. All right. Well, uh, we just have a few more minutes left, but you know we are going into the last two years of this term. Do you have anything specific, any initiatives that you're working on, um, any papers that you might be uh, putting forth that you'd like to give us a little preview on, or anything in the third district that maybe you two would be willing to work on together to kind of bring your district together and get everybody on the same page? Well, I think we could do that with with school funding. Yeah. Uh, I'd certainly like to do that. Uh, You know, we we have to stay in our lane, so to speak, and while we want to advocate for more dollars, it's really up to the school board to determine how those dollars should be spent. So the best that we can do on our end is to provide more money. Yeah. And more money, you know, people say, well, that's not necessarily the the solution. Well, less money ain't the answer would be my uh, comment on that. We really do need to do. Uh, better by our kids. Something that isn't in the third district, but something that I'm really interested in that's kind of been put on the back burner is the boulevard redevelopment and all the potential that that has being so close to resurgent Scott's edition. Yeah, we talked to Kim about that too, and she's very surprised that that there hasn't been more interest in that because right after the 2016 election, everybody stopped talking about it. Right. It was the Navy Hill uh, now is at the front of of the conversation. But that area over there is ripe for redevelopment and textiles. It is. I'm sorry, Exhibit A, the Wawa, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, tax Just dollars, <laughs> you know, revenue means more money for schools, more money for other projects. So how do we get yes. folks interested in that? Well, I think it's it's close, I'll say, uh, closer to happening. Uh, if we can get the, the stadium issue resolved, then we can uh, we can move on. And I think we're a lot closer than than I can say on on, uh, on the stadium issue being resolved. Foreshadowing. Kenya, what about you? Um, Yeah, I think that um, because of the, 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 there's so many things going on, frankly, the school board, the school system, we've been very reactionary um, and it would be nice to, to get ahead of that. Um, I think that, uh, you know the the discussions that are in the short term coming up are, res- are related to rezoning, and uh, so I think that that's an important conversation to be had. Uh, we've got you know an incredible amount of overcrowding in some of our schools, and um, as I mentioned, I mean I think transportation is such an important piece. Um, you know we talk a lot about uh, attendance, and I've said. Look, we if we talk about attendance, then we need to make sure we have enough buses, and the buses are in place so that the kids are going to be going to school. You know, um, and so rezoning, I think, could it be a way to to help with some of the transportation things. So, um, so that's a big thing that that's on the horizon. Um, continuing conversations about facilities, of course. You know, as we're talking about the the boulevard, I know there's going to be a discussion about naming um, Arthur Ashe uh, Boulevard and. Um, I support that, and and I'd support more development. I'd I'd be especially supportive of more development if the the tax revenue could go towards the Arthur Ashe Center, because that is a facility that the schools need. You know, we need a facility that um, supports a, a a group of that size for tournaments and um, district wide meetings and and all that kind of stuff. But that's another facility that that that's in some disrepair. Um, and again, if we want to do right by by Arthur Ashe, we, we need to, to, to make those in investments for sure. The, mm-hmm. uh, the Arthur Ashe Boulevard uh, 
which I can't imagine it not passing, but I do want to say that I'm 110% for it. Yeah, I just want to thank you both for coming, for sharing your vision uh, for the third district and um, coming together as well, you know, really uh, being willing to talk to your constituents as, you know, as kind of a team here, because um, I think it is nice for our listeners and your constituents to know that you do speak to each other, you do uh, trade ideas as well, and that you're working together to make sure that the kids in your district and the people in your district are getting everything that they need and their voices are getting heard. So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for this platform in this space. Yeah, let us know if you have anything else you'd uh, like to shout out to your uh, your district members, and uh, we'll get that on there for you. All right. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you both you. for coming on. Really appreciate it. So, as always, you guys, we had a great discussion today. We learned a lot. You can engage with us, uh, critique, talk, all that good stuff on all social media at RVA Dirt. We appreciate your feedback, comments, and all that stuff. We love it. As always, Flint still has dirty water. Sure does. RPS is still not fully funded, and <laughs> Richmond is still racist, but we're working on it. See you next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRARLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio.